Scripture reading this morning comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. I invite you to turn your Bibles to that passage. If you do not have a Bible, please use the blue pew Bible in front of you, and you may find the passage on page 981. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Would you please rise in honor of this reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. This morning we have Pastor Steve Liu preaching to us, so let me introduce him to you. Uh, Steve Liu was born and raised in Southern California, and even as I was thinking about that comment, I just noticed both our guest speakers were from California. Uh, He was graciously called to pastoral ministry through the faithful discipleship of his youth pastor at First Chinese Baptist Church, Walnut. After graduating from Talbot School of Theology in 2006, He served in full-time ministry at his home church in the areas of youth ministry, college ministry, and church planting. God moved his family to Houston, Texas in 2014 to serve at Southwest Chinese Baptist Church as their English pastor. Then God called him to Hope Church in Jersey Village, where he currently serves on staff as a teaching pastor elder. He is joyfully married to his wife, Christine, and together are passionate about discipling their five children, Caleb, who is with us this morning. So if you can, maybe we can give a hand to Caleb joining his dad this morning. And Joanna, age nine, Ezra, age six, Ian, age three, and Micah, nine months. Uh, I'm sure they're quite busy in their home. Uh, currently, they're committed to homeschooling. His goal is to be a faithful Christ follower, husband, father, and pastor who loves God and his word. In his spare time, he loves dating his wife, playing sports with his kids, a.k.a. his basketball team, uh, fitness, F3 workouts, and cheering on the Dodgers. Sorry, Astro fans. That's his comment, not mine. Let's give a warm HCC welcome to Pastor Steve Liu. Good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. Will you join me again in prayer? Father, thank you so, so much that in the busyness of our lives that we can come and gather together to rehearse the gospel, to represent the gospel and exulting in your greatness and confessing our weaknesses, being assured of your pardon for us, 
than, Lord, seeking the goodness that's found in the gospel and, Lord, responding in gratefulness and joy as we sit under your word and in your presence as a corporate body. Father, we want to move your heart just as we sung. God, I pray that you would move in power right now, that, Lord, your spirit would speak, that your spirit would be our main teacher this morning, and that, God, you would speak to us and cut through any busyness, any distraction, any tiredness, so that, Lord, you can be the life-giving water that we drink from this morning. We all need that, and we just rest in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's a joy to be here today. Um, as uh, Minister Henry said, I am really busy. <laughs> and uh, with five kids, uh, we full-time homeschool, um, and uh, we've been doing that since we came here in 2014. And uh, it's been a joy to start with Caleb and then all the way down the ranks. And now we got four out of five uh, on our homeschooling basketball team um, in which uh, I cheer on the, the Dodgers. And you might think I'm a Lakers fan, but I'm actually a Clippers fan, um, which is very, very few of us. <laughs> we are in the minority, that's for sure. But um, as you know, I have very little, if any, spare time by the time at 9 o'clock, I am just exhausted. And um, that's usually the case for, I have a confession, that I love to complain. <laughs> and I know that the easiest thing that we can complain about is not just our kids, our, uh, our, our life, our, just the busyness of work, coworkers or managers or project managers that get under our skin, but the easiest thing to do is to complain about the Houston heat. Um, now, coming from L.A., where things actually cool down, where you can actually open the windows at night and get some cool air in, man, this Houston heat is just wicked. Amen? We're praying that the Lord would redeem the Houston heat <laughs> for his glory. <laughs> uh, but we're living here. Um, so... Uh, Eric Berger, he's heads up Space City Weather. He did a blog post recently that I heard um, somebody else share in their talk, and I, I thought that was really good. It's the top 10 reasons to be thankful for our blistering heat and emerging droughts. Number 10, the barbecue pit heats up far more quickly. <laughs> you don't have to spend money on wood or coals. Number nine, road work and other construction projects aren't delayed due to weather. Amen. Number eight, high pressure buffers the region from any hurricanes that might form. Hmm. Number seven, your dog won't track in mud from the backyard. <laughs> Number six, if you have kids, you can wow them with stories about the good old days when you played outside all summer long. Number five, sunshine and long days produce a solar energy bonanza. Uh, which is probably like one out of 400 people in this room. <laughs> um, number four, whenever it rains again, if it ever rains again, hopefully it rains again, psychologically, it's going to feel so amazing. 
Number three, maybe just maybe the extreme heat radiating from roads and parking lots, even into the night, will discourage a few potential catalytic converter thieves. Number two, no rain means far fewer mosquitoes are out there biting in the evening. Can I hear amen? And amen. They seem to like California blood. Uh, At least that's what we think. And the number one reason why this heat and drought ain't such a bad thing is that now you have a medical reason to eat ice cream. Bluebell. Amen. (laughs) Well, in reality, we think we can grumble and complain whenever we want, especially because it's so easy in the Houston heat. In reality, we need to reframe things and we need to give thanks. And surprisingly, this has much to do about working out our salvation, which Minister Henry showed us uh, what it looked like for us to God work to, for God to work in us while we work out, and uh, that we would do so in weakness and humility continuously. And um, I'm really thankful also that the garden has many lessons and that you're reaping the benefits of eggplants. Um, fried eggplant, <laughs> stir-fry eggplant, and everything if you're not here. But thank you, Minister Henry, for that message. But surprisingly, the most dire area that Paul said the next example of working out our salvation was not simply to articulate the gospel message perfectly, but it was to stop grumbling. Look at verses 14 and 15. The Apostle Paul says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And if you're looking at your outline this morning, um, the first point is this, that church, we're called to work out your issues. (laughs) The first thing that comes out of Paul's mouth, working out your salvation was to do everything with grumbling or fighting. And who can here can actually do that? As Alec Montier said, a commentator, he said, quote, the opening words of verse 14 comes like a shock of cold in a hot day. Because you know what? It's easy as a church, no matter what church you're in, it's so easy to complain about everything. You can complain that the service starts too early. And then when the service starts 10 minutes later, then you complain that the service starts too late. We can complain that the drums are too loud. The preaching is too long. The microphone is not working. Yet a complaining Christian is an oxymoron. Yet how often are we as church members the champions of complaining. If we were a church, if we are called by God through the Apostle Paul to stop our complaining, we should want to dry up the market. The church is called to set up and set up, be set apart from the culture. Yet in this area, grumbling, we look no different from the world. So why does Paul press into grumbling? Because your grumbling is not inconsequential. Your complaints are directly tried to, tied to working out your own salvation in fear and trembling. Verses 13, 12 and 13. Your grumbling is tied to your true heritage. Are you working out your salvation as children of God? Or are you looking like the children of the world? Look back at verse 14. It says, so that, or purpose, so that you may become blameless and pure 
children of God without fault in a crooked and twisted generation. The Philippian believers were meant to be pure and blameless children of God, but they were acting like selfish, spoiled children. Their complaints threatened to contaminate their purity as a church. In the same way, church, watch out that your complaints are not an active threat to your church's purity. Now this Sunday morning, maybe when the Philippians heard it, they must have struck a nerve with them. When Paul confronted them using the words grumbling, it's almost like he's throwing back to the most famous grumblers in the Bible. The nation of Israel, as they journey to the promised land, the only place that Paul uses this word complain is in 1 Corinthians 10.10, which goes back and throws back to that passage, to that time in Israel's history when all they wanted to do was complain in the wilderness. Now, if you're new to the story, that's back in the Old Testament before Jesus came, and this happened in Israel's history about two millennia earlier. God rescued Israel from their slavery in Egypt through sins and wonders, signs and wonders. And as they went out on a mass exodus from Egypt, Pharaoh had a change of heart and sent his army after them. And God drowned the mighty Egyptian army while the, Egypt, the Israelites walked safely to the other side. God promised that they would be his people and to provide for them a promised land and even a place that they can call home. If you were the people of God and you knew that he was on your side and he had just through the horse and the rider in the sea. What would you have to complain about? When they journeyed in the desert, they began to get heat in the form of trial. They were not able to find food. They cried to Moses, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around with pots of meat and ate all the food that we can ever want. And here, Moses, you would take us here to starve us to death. At that moment, the people forgot they were the children of God, that they grew discontent in their hearts. They started longing back for their past lives of good and plenty in Egypt. And this led to murmuring and complaining about their leader, Moses, but tragically, to complain about God's appointed leader was to complain about God himself. And this led to God's anger and wrath burning against them in, this gener- in, this, in that generation and for the generations to come. And Deuteronomy 32, 5, and ominously records this generation with this epitaph, that they are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. And Paul is saying, Philippians, don't complain. Otherwise, you will be like Israel, a warped and crooked generation. But you are already children of God, so straighten it up. You're not called to have that same epitaph. Work out your issues. And unfortunately, the Philippian church forgot their identity, then they resorted to just selfish grumbling and disputing. The word here for grumbling is a deep guttural word. It's kind of like a low muttering when people are disgruntled. And it describes the Pharisees and the scribes in which they began grumbling at Jesus' disciples saying, 
Why do you eat with the tax collectors and sinners? The word for disputing gives the sense of an inner reasoning that has ulterior motives. And this led to even some of their top leaders turning against each other. Iodia and Syntyche. Sisters who have contended with Paul in the gospel were now contending against each other. And they were damaging the church. The Philippian leaders forgot they were children of God. The Philippians forgot they were children of God. And they instead reverted to acting like selfish children. Now, I think almost all of us have spent um, maybe days with kids or maybe spent days with bickering, um, upset, tired children. How many people have ever done that before in this room? Raise your hand. Okay. Only five of you? (laughs) Come on now. (laughs) Well, I don't know about you. If you ever find uh, my household and... um, I think Caleb is definitely working out his salvation, but now it turns to his youngest brothers, uh, spending a day with Ezra and Ian, and spending a time with three and six-year-olds and, and Legos. And five seconds will not go by without our kids screaming, Caleb, go, go, can you build me another one? And then right when, they, when he builds one, they break it up, and they're like, Caleb, go, go, can you build another one? In fact, we were just talking about this this morning. <laughs> and he just said naturally, it is, it's so easy to complain. In the same way, we children of God, though, we get caught up in seeing things built up only to see them being torn down. Suddenly, the things that we have, the blessings we have in Christ that we celebrate this morning is not enough, and we become discontent with God, and we get, uh, uh, we're not secure in our identity with God. And our identity lusts in for other things, our agendas, our selfish interests, our needs, our, self, our sense of self-entitlement. Well, if you only look at things my way, which leads to a feeling of moral superiority. Oh, I'm better than them. I know what's better, though, so they need to see things my way. And that leads to grumbling when people don't live up to your expectations, which leads to disputing and arguing. Paul was emphasizing don't forget who you are in Christ. You've forgotten to be humble, looking out for the interests of others rather than yourselves. You've been selfish, that you've been fighting for what you want rather than the good of the church and the glory of the gospel. So church, this morning, remember that you, first and foremost, as you come, if you are in Christ, you are a child of God. You know, a lot of times in my parenting, it's not so much about focusing on being a parent, but the Lord has really taught me to become more like a child, coming under the Heavenly Father, being loved by Him, moving in His presence, abiding in His Word. And from there, as I'm full with the presence of the Spirit, as I'm full of intimacy with the Lord, then I could spend my time really discipling my children. It's a magnificent privilege. Remember who you were before God the Father found you. You were an enemy, enslaved to your own desires, held captive by your own will, rebellious against God, drunk in the passions and the pleasures of yourself, deserving of God's righteous wrath. Yet God in love did not let you stay there, but he gave up his seat his rightful seat, his exalted place in heaven to come down and lower himself to be 
uh, fully man yet fully God and to live a perfect life amongst his creation and even to be at the hands of his creation so that at the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Lord, not my will, but not, not my will, but your will be done. And God's will from the very beginning was to send him to the cross to die a brutal death, to drink the cup of wrath for you. And he nailed your sin debt on the cross, replaced your sinful heart with a new heart that was capable of having passion for God. He freed you from the slave trade of sin. He made you alive in Christ. And now you are given a brand new identity as a son and a daughter of God, both having the power and the authority of the kingdom of God in you, that you are walking with the spirit of God and dwelling in you. Wow. When you think about that, does that bring just joy and delight in your heart this morning that it makes every complaint seem small? Are you wowed by the thought that you've been adopted by a gracious God? Look at your heart. Has your heart been thankful? Would you bicker and complain? And has your bitterness and your grumbling and disputing spirit led you to issues with other people here, right here in this room? with other people in this church body, with other people in your family. Maybe you're thinking, man, there are some things in this church that will never change. Maybe there's that one person that the Lord is bringing to mind that just gets under your skin. What are those issues in which you don't need to look at them, you need to look at your heart? And look at the gospel and give your own heart a workout. See if the issue is with your own heart. Suspect that it's your own pride and your arrogance and maybe your own way of thinking is to blame. And then inspecting yourself for sin. What are your motives? What are you really after? Are you good? Are you working out for the good of the church and his glory? Are you modeling the, the heart of Christ? Or is it really to win an argument? Jesus Christ, he did not deserve what he went through on the cross. And we don't deserve an ounce of his grace. But Jesus Christ poured out his blood for us. And that should just well us. It will breed humility, the kind of attitude that Christ commands us to have in Philippians 2.5. And thankfulness. As William Ward said, God gave you the gift of 86,400 seconds today. Have you used one to say thank you? Thankfulness is a soil in which pride cannot easily grow. So have a garden of humility. Church, do you want to be an arguing church or a thankful church? Do you want to be like spoiled children who bicker, fight, and argue about the Legos of this world? Or are you having enough of this world that you do not want to see that as your church and you want to see that this church is standing as a light in the midst of a crooked generation? So church, work out your issues. This means that we work together. We find bridges. We find ways to be together and to function together because the Lord has called you to be this body, to be Houston Chinese Church. One church in many generations and many congregations, yet one church. And there are going to be issues and conflicts that you're going to have to work out. Yet if I were to say one thing, 
I don't know everything, although I've grown up in a Chinese heritage church pretty much all of my life. I know one thing. The one thing I would encourage you with is never lose the wonder of being a child of God. Never lose the wonder that you are called into this. You are called into the church. And the church is the bride of Christ, not yours. Be thankful for the church. Don't give in to the enemy's lie that you and the church, that you just have irreconcilable, irreconcilable differences. Be thankful for the pastors and the ministers and those who work in shepherd leadership. Pray for them. Oh, they need your prayers. Support them. Oh, they need your support and encourage them. I remember a time in uh, a previous church in Los Angeles where I had grown up and um, we had gone through a time after, just after I got ordained um, and was doing youth ministry and then the church went through a time of conflict, a time of struggle, um, a, a time of just some bitter infighting on, the, on, on different levels. And I just remember just being confused and, and struggling to think, Lord, have you called me here? And that's where I was kind of thrust into a lot of leadership, a lot of ministry, just really forced to grow and uh, to lead, help to lead the English congregation. And, and um, there were so many times I wanted to give up. There were so many times that I just wanted to just quit because it just seemed like it was easier to leave. But in that time, Ephesians 5, 25 to 30 spoke to me. And I remember this, that though we may be tempted to leave our church, Jesus never does. He never gives up on his bride. He is passionately and relentlessly in pursuit of his bride. And he's called to sanctify it with the washing of the water with the word. And so that was just a reminder to me that I, I, I needed to, to see the church as God's spotless bride. Yeah, it wasn't so spotless at the time, but God really grew me to see the church as she was and to love the church despite all the disagreements and despite all the hard times. For me, it was just being humble and, and just caring for the church. And so I just want to encourage you, church, work out your issues. Number two, Paul gives us another controlling reason to work out our issues. Take a look at verse 15. To 16b. And it says this Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And we'll stop there. But the second point is this if you're taking notes, church, work out your witness. Work out your witness. So, first, we talked about working out your issues. Why? So you can work out your witness. Paul's main concern here is that the church shone in the dark city of Philippi. The church was to live straight lives that pointed to God in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. The Philippians had perverted true worship to be about man and bowed down to the emperor rather than God. And yet the Philippians were to shine as lights in the darkness throughout their worship. And when you look up in the sky, depending on where you are, you can see a lot of stars, maybe thousands of stars. Maybe not right outside your backyard, but going into a dark place, maybe a campsite far away from everything. 
And when you see thousands of stars, I mean, that should just gives you, that should give you so much humility. But, but it should amaze us that these stars are just light years away. The distance that light travels in one year is about uh, six trillion miles. The brightest star, Sirius, um, is 8.6 light years away, or about 48 trillion miles. Yet at such an incredible distance, its light is one of the brightest in the sky. In the same way Christians are called to stand out in the world that they live in now, Christians, by their witness, need to burn brightly in the same way stars do. And HCC, church body, is there a marked contrast between you and non-believers so that you shine like lights in a dark place? There should be a tension between our view of morality and the world's. In a world that glorifies self-indulgence, we must major on self-denial. When we are tempted to be boastful, we must be humble. When the world and the culture goes one way because it's popular or because everybody on Twitter says so, we are called to go a different way. Sin should, should offend us, not amuse us. Worship should be awe-inspiring, not boring. Unbelieving friends should make us grieve rather than be glad. You know, maybe in your life you don't seem so much different from the average non-Christian. Yeah, you worship Christ on Sundays. Maybe you tithe and giving and offering. Maybe you listen to more Christian music than secular. And maybe you take out your Bible occasionally and you care for the homeless and the poor just outside these doors. But in reality, is your life that different? Does Christ and his lordship cause tension in your place in this world? Or do you look no different from an unbeliever? Then in contrast, you need to question whether you are working out your salvation. Whether you are, you are getting fit in the world or you're getting fit in the spirit of God and being more like a child of God. No more will you want to be like the world. You will want to be a witness to the world. The more sin will leave distaste in your mouth, you will want to spit it out. And so I just want to offer two ways that we can shine like stars in our world. Number one, it says that we need to hold fast to the word of life. And this command has two aspects. Number one, in your life, living a life of moral purity. It's, it's, in a sense, loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and making sure that your delight is only in him, and then with that, overflowing in your love for others. And when you stop fighting and thinking about your own things, but focus on your identity as children of God, you lend credibility to your message. As D.A. Carson writes, quote, in other words, Christian contentment stands out in a selfish, whining, self-pitying world. As Christians hold out the word of life, there must be no trace of self-pity, but a life characterized by sincere gratitude and godly praise. Is there something about your life that just catches unbelievers and just makes them wonder? There's a guy in my workout group, and uh, he has gone through some of the most horrific things. It just seems like every day there's just, uh, just troubles and trials that are hitting him again and again and again, but yet one person commented about his life is that he always starts off, never starts off complaining, but everything out of his mouth is praise to God or 
that he's depending on him or that he's praying and just so much gratitude, so much to the point where one guy in our worker group, um, which I'm not sure is a follower of Jesus, just kept on saying, there's something about him. There's something about his life. I've never met a more thankful and grateful person when life has just run you aground. Is there something in your life that you can say that you're holding fast to the word of life and saying God's word is the only thing that I'm holding to? And is that attractive to those around us in the world? Number two, we hold fast the word of life in our language. Notice that the word of life also stands for the good news, the gospel proclaimed. This does not mean we just say we're going to preach the gospel through our action when necessary use words. No, as one commentator said, the light of Christian character is an uninterrupted parable if we do not speak about Christ. So your life must back up your words, but your words must back up your life. Good news is not good news until it is proclaimed. You need to hold out the word of life to unbelievers as news they need. And it was so encouraging that we got a fence repaired in this Houston heat. And I was just looking for ways to be able to share um, just my story with him. And, um, and it was great because he was in high school. He was working this as a summer job and, and just going after sports. And um, I just talked about how I was in my lifetime, in my high school career, I was chasing after everything sports and uh, what people would think and success and um, intellectual, you know, successes and SAT scores. And, but I was able to share that the only thing that changed my life was that not all these things, but it was a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that changed my life, that I realized I didn't have to perform anymore. But it was Jesus Christ who accepted me who I was, and he died for my sins so that I could receive him. And so I just want to encourage you. You have so many opportunities if you are intentional and you are looking to hold fast to the word of life. Paul ends off on a personal note here. It's not a dry exhortation. Again, Paul loved them deeply. To Paul, their salvation working out was his life's work. Look at verses 16b. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul says, I don't want to run for nothing. Paul is picturing here a worship service, but it's picturing a daily burnt offering where the priest would pour out a drink offering of wine on top of the burning sacrifice. But Paul is not putting himself on the altar here. He's putting the faith and the Philippians onto the altar here. And specifically, he is talking about the Philippians working out of their faith, which also included their financial gifts to Paul's ministry of spreading the gospel. Paul uses the same word faith and service to describe their offering in chapter 4, verse 10 and 18. And Paul was saying that the drink offering that was poured on top, that was secondary to the burnt sacrifice. But the drink offering would be useless without the main offering. And because the altar was so hot from the burning sacrifice, the wine would just disappear in a puff of steam. Kind of like if you're, you're steaming a fish. Right, and the last step is to pour the, the smoke in hot oil. Right when you see the wisp of smoke, that's when you pour out on the fish. To my regret, 
my pot turn on fire when I do that because I forgot to look, <laughs> forgot to pay attention. But it, that's what it would look like. The wine would just disappear in a puff of steam. And Paul was saying, even if my life was like wine that disappears in a puff of steam, even if I suffer or die, the priority is that your salvation was worked out completely. Paul's greatest joy was in self-denial for Christ and the church. He poured out his life for the church to work out their witness. God is asking us, will you be that drink offering that you will pour out the rest of your life here to help this church work out their witness to make Jesus famous? Would you do whatever it takes to spread his gospel among Houston Chinese Church and the areas around it in the medical center in Houston to the nations? The burden here is not to be a cool hipster uh, or even a relevant church, but for God to make HCC a pure and a blameless church, one that will shine as lights in the world in the midst of this generation. But to do so, church family, um, here, we need to work out our issues. And at the same time, we need to work out our witness. And if the Apostle Paul was to look at HCC and to view you, would he say in the day of Christ that I did not waste my time, that I did not run or view my labor in vain, but that I can be glad and rejoice in your faithfulness? What would the Lord Jesus say about you right now? Are you working out your witness in the way that he is getting maximal glory due to his name? Will he say about HCC that they glorified me and even were faithful to my calling to spread the gospel and be a light to Houston and the world? Take a good, honest look at your issues in your heart. Are you amazed by your identity in Christ that you're moved to grumbling or gratitude? Spend some time as we close out here in the closing songs that you would confess any grumbling and ask God to move you to gratitude. And then secondly, work out your witness. Do you have a moral purity? Are you praying for your church? Are you even praying for your church this morning? Are you praying that God will be glorified in the teaching of his word, in the teaching of Sunday schools, and in the kids' ministry? Are you asking the Lord to seed in you the gospel so that you could pass it on to generations? So that this generation, the generation that some of you have, your five-year-olds, your 10-year-olds, your eight-year-olds, your family, when they grow up, they will be like faithful men and women, and they will take the gospel of the word, and they will go and preach it to others and share that gospel word with others. And then from there, will your children's children, are you thinking about their discipleship that it would go on to the third, fourth, fifth generation? And I just want to encourage you, church, I want to encourage you, it starts at home. It starts with the modeling that you have, that you are modeling in the very parts of your life that are not super visible, but they are visible to your kids. And I'm reminded of that every single day in which that the gospel of Christ has such a bearing on me and my wife that we want to faithfully, yet imperfectly, shepherd our children so that they would know Jesus, that they would be moved by him, that they would operate in the giftings and the wirings that they, God has called them to be so that the Lord may use them for his glory so that they may be raised up as leaders in the churches and be raised out to mission whenever God calls them. Amen.
So church, will you work out your witness in your home, in your church family, in your family, in your marriage, in your single life, in your college life, whatever it is, may you make it your passion to live and shine like a light in a dark world and hold fast to the word of life so that those who have come before you will say that they have not run or labored in vain. Let's pray. Father, thank you so, so much for your precious word this morning. Thank you for how it convicts us. Lord, we just want it to move us, God, from the very depths of our soul, that you would bring conviction. So Holy Spirit, do and have your glorious way in us, in our hearts, in our families, in this church, for your glory. Thank you, Father. We love you and praise you and delight in your name and the gospel in Jesus' name.